Hello there. Uh, so before we let you enjoy our musings upon uh, miserable Yorkshire rock, I'm going to ask you for some money. Uh, it would be really lovely if you could uh, just donate a pound, pound per episode, pound a month, pound whatever, just a pound. Pounds could be very much worthless soon anyway, so it doesn't really matter. Or else, what? Uh, well, Mark suggested that we fuck uh, <laughs> you. That we uh, we send the boys round, and if you don't give us money, then I'm going to come around to your house and do a shit in your kettle. Uh, I think that's on. that's quite obscene, but um, innovative. It is innovative, and I don't know if you just thought that up off your head, but uh, a fairly well-known Scottish DJ actually had to apologise quite recently for rhymes with. Slackmaster. Yeah. I've never heard uh, of the guy before, so yeah. it's a Scottish thing. He had to apologise for <laughs> dropping a load in a kettle at one point. Um, but yeah. Uh, it takes preparation as well. You know, you'd have to plan a good four to six hours ahead. Make sure you were uh, mm. locked and loaded. I mean, that, yeah, that's true. You can't just uh, go on call. Which yeah. demands a fair amount of malice on yeah. your part. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I probably won't come around and shit in your kettle. I would just be really because thankful. Because you will give us a pound. Because you will give us a pound. <laughs> uh, you can go to unsungpod.net slash donate. We are very appreciative to everybody that uh, gives us cash. It we means are. that we mm-hmm. can continue finding lovely records to talk about um, and recording them on lovely sunny days with the curtains closed <laughs> in Chris's flat. Yeah. Uh, but truly, it is an honour to shit in your kettle <laughs> <laughs> I need to as soon as we're done recording I'm going to check my kettle <laughs> uh, right okay on with the podcast Dave, are you wearing a Ballycast Angel t-shirt? <laughs> I truly am, yeah. <laughs> uh, legit merch from uh, Fitzgerald's bar in uh, the town that they filmed Ballycast Angel in. That's wow. also uh, an extremely British thing. Much oh. like this band. What? <laughs> uh, yeah. Oh, that Sunday night slot on BBC oh. One, that was a classic. Like Heartbeat? Went, Heartbeat. That was, that that was, in, uh, that was ITV. Yeah. But, um, uh, no, but I just mean generally that kind of pitch. I, that, like, I mean, there was a whole slot of classics there Keeping was Balakis Angel yeah. uh, Keeping Up Appearances Hamish Macbeth Hamish Point. Macbeth I was talking about that all day uh, Monarch of the Glen Monarch of the Glen Last the Summer Wine I mean yeah I mean it's a bit more old school but and, no, it's, and it's, it's, it's pure comedy there's no drama in uh, Last the know, Summer man. when Compo was rolling down the hill in that laughter <laughs> <laughs> I used to be concerned I mean that was more <laughs> action thriller rather himself. than drama but yeah <laughs> action thriller <laughs> 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 Imagine a John Woo remake. <laughs> <laughs> I'm fucking into that, by the way. Oh, man. <laughs> you should pitch that to John Woo. <laughs> I mean, yeah, Last of the Summer Wine is a very uh, Yorkshire thing, and we're going to be talking about a very Yorkshire thing later, actually. Segway. Oh, God damn. What a fucking segue, yeah. So much segway. England in this fucking podcast today. I know. But not that much England. Bloody hell, mate. Some American fucking... Um... Talking of England. <laughs> Talking of England, it's uh, been exciting uh, Brexit news today, as ever. On the apparently, uh, democracy was getting in the way of democracy, so we've got rid of it. <laughs> yeah. It's really, it's interesting. I'm buzzing yeah. as a politics graduate. I'm just like, 
none of this is uh, supposed to happen. <laughs> as, a, as a politics graduate, like, why do I work in an industry that's nothing to do with my qualification? <laughs> oh yes, I see. <laughs> of course. Uh, David's dad was messaging him before the podcast, uh, a little bit outraged that, uh, why is your generation not setting fire to buses? Yeah, I know. Uh, and it's like, that's a fair point, dad, but we did set up an online petition. <laughs> it's had 600,000 signatures in eight hours. That'll do it. Change is being made. <laughs> I always watched that. When was the last time they tried that? that was 6.5 million. Uh, yeah. To get a re- another referendum. And and fuck it, it's yeah, 5 million debated the last one. Uh, and Sorry, 6.5 million signed it. And I think nine people went to the debate. Yeah. Something like that's brilliant. Can you imagine, can you imagine direct... 6.5 million people descending on the House of Parliament? Yes, actually. <laughs> pretty, amazing. Pretty, I will say pretty soon I can imagine that. Yes, <laughs> given what happened today and the way things are going. Fucking um, floppy hair cunt. <laughs> See, the thing is, I don't actually know who you mean because there's so many. I know. It could be Trump. It's a blanket it could term. Be Boris Johnson. It could be Jacob Rees Mogg. Just a blanket term. Though. Could be. Could be the Queen. Yeah. I would say. I would say she was more. I would say she's more tousle haired. <laughs> tousle haired cunt. Tousle haired um, cunt. Our oh, son. One. What one? The pedo. (laughs) Do you mean the pedo or the murderer? Uh, Sorry if you're uh, allegedly. (laughs) Yeah, I know. I'm sorry. I went to a dark place really quickly tonight, guys. Uh, emotions are running high up in Scotland, though. Uh, on the bright side, and the Rev Two seems to be looming over the country like one of the spacecraft from Independence Day. Yeah, we come directly dead to you from outside the gates of Balmoral. <laughs> yeah, there some angry people there today. But yeah, it was an eventful week for me. Tell me how I went to the Edinburgh Festival, which oh. happens once a year. So you were in England then. Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I, I was in the English part of Scotland in Edinburgh. In fact, it's just the anything but Scotland part of Scotland at that time of year, oh. um, which can be amazing. Uh, it's very fucking busy. There were points where I was walking down the main streets in Edinburgh, or I say walking, in inverted commas. It was like when you're in a bar and you can't get to the bar to get served because it's so busy. Yeah. I couldn't move. Any movement is just because you're being carried by yeah. the crowd. Couldn't physically control the direction I was moving in at some points on a main street of a capital city. It was really, really odd. But I did see some pretty cool stuff. I saw a documentary film called Hail Satan, which Mm -hmm. I cannot recommend enough to anybody following the podcast. We've actually used a few of the links in the things like the Nexus, and we did a couple of bits about it in the Black Metal episode. It's about the Satanic Temple, which isn't about Satan really, and isn't religious, but it's more of a sort of way to protest the creeping influence of the evangelicals in America. Um, and my goodness, it's a really fucking good film. I really, really enjoyed it. Um, I also saw a very morbid play about mm-hmm. uh, Joseph Mengele. Brilliant. Yeah, brilliant. So, and I, it was nearly, I just love that. nearly 30 degrees in Edinburgh and I went to see a play about Joseph Mengele at noon. <laughs> so, I mean that's classic. It was in a basement. <laughs> it was in a. It was in like a storage shed type thing. Okay. Um, and I also went to a planetarium and watched kind of bespoke animations uh, be projected to the album "Dark Side of the Moon" by Pink Floyd. Oh, lovely! I will be honest. I'd rather have gone to see "Wish You Were Here," but it was sold out. Yeah, is it is a better album? It's the unsung record, isn't it? Mm. But yeah, so uh, I had a reasonably eventful uh, weekend. I also had some really good food, but. We don't have time for that because uh, the world is burning mm-hmm. literally. How about you guys? Yeah, I want to see Soul Crush, uh, courtesy of, of David here on Monday night. Mm-hmm. David, it, let you go. <laughs> yeah, he let me go. <laughs> David, can I go to a gig? I allowed yeah, it. Yeah, I allowed yeah. it. I approved it. <laughs> uh, and it was pretty dreamy. It was good. Dreamy, yeah. yeah like Shoegaze band. So, yeah, so it was pretty dreamy. Really good sound, actually, and fucking loud. 
Mm-hmm. Although Shoe- there was, tends to be a pretty loud genre, even though it's like deceptively gentle. It's it's like gentle played loud. Yeah, you know I mean that seems to be a kind of feature. It's the overwhelming force of gentleness. Who <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> um, knew gentleness could have a force? But there you go. Okay, so you um, had a fun time. Uh, apart from some dead kids in the front who were dancing all night and, and not dancing to the band in really obnoxious ways and falling on stage and all that. So I can hate it when people are enjoying a gig in front. I know, of it's fucking horrible. Yeah, that's gig. You, you just stare at the ground morosely and just that's, that's what you do. Man, you're like the, the mental image I always get is the crowd in the Sonic Youth episode of The Simpsons. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, basically. <laughs> Uh, I was maybe at the opposite of the Edinburgh Festival I was at the most Scottish part of Scotland I went to the Argyle coast mm-hmm. Borrowed a camper van And stayed next to a sea loch Where Well actually I was within five miles Of one of Vladimir Putin's best friend's estates I can't remember the name of it But it's down in the Cowan Peninsula On Loch Striven Which is a wee hidden sea loch uh, Camped there So a porpoise just popped out next to next to us at the the shore. Hard dive. Um, we drove around dinner. Don't sound like that, Mark. <clears throat> ate dinner at a Scottish accent. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, guys. Yeah. Uh, yeah, ate dinner at Inver Restaurant, which I would highly recommend to anybody uh-huh. in the world. Um, yeah, a lot. It's weird driving through the countryside of Scotland and realizing that n- very few rich people own a huge amount of that land. A very few Scottish people. Well, yeah, but even you know, it's like you know, fifty people own about yeah, oh, sorry, yeah, sixty percent of Scotland. Of, a handful of rich people. Own yeah, a lot. yeah. I think like if you're not from Scotland and you've never heard of the Highland clearances, you should probably it's, have a yeah. little read. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, uh, it's kind of ethnic cleansing of huge parts of Scotland mm-hmm. um, to make way for people to buy enormous estates. But yeah, so it's uh, a strange week. And it's also been sunny here, which makes the whole thing seem like a, a weird dream. Yeah. Because <laughs> that doesn't happen that often. Yeah, no, and like it's, it's odd because maybe the album we've chosen is possibly the most autumnal record we've mm-hmm. covered. Uh, and I kind of thought it might be autumn by now, but it's actually been really sunny. So uh, mm. it doesn't quite fit the weather that we've been having. Mm-hmm. But well, um, uh, You want to talk about this album, David? Uh, yeah. Um, um, so I have brought forward... A band called Hood. Yeah, that's a band that we'd teased previously. Yeah. Right, because I think, what episode was it? It was the... Uh, possibly it might have been Shells. Yeah, I think it was um, Shells you mentioned Hood during that episode. Mm-hmm. But they kind of fit into a few different things. They're, they're, yeah, I mean, their sound changed. What record did you pick from? Uh, so it's their fifth album, Cold House. released in 2001 first of all there's a little bit of dispute over whether it's their fifth or their sixth and wikipedia can't decide either because there is a record that came out yeah some are listing it as a compilation some are listing it as a full album yeah their entire sort of discography is actually quite hard to work out particularly because their first few albums released on a lot of different records and then now because you find out your information from streaming when you go the dates are a bit wrong there's albums that you didn't even know existed that aren't officially on the discography, things like that. I think this is seen by the band as their fifth studio record. It's a bit like Slipknot by Slipknot is seen as the first album by Slipknot, even though it's clearly not. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, they've released a bunch of EPs, singles, and a couple of compilations. Um, and they've sort of been on an indefinite hiatus uh, since around 2006 or seven, uh, after their what they would say their sixth record uh, Outside Closer came out in 2005 um, It's mainly two brothers right? Mainly two 
brothers Chris and Richard Adams and then at times Craig Tartasol and Andrew Johnson who are also of a band called The Remote Viewer and uh, Nicola Hodgkinson of Empress Uh, so they're from Leeds or musically they're based in Leeds um, but they're actually from a town called Weatherby uh, which is about half an hour outside of Leeds a much smaller sort of place so much like a Glasgow band will say they're from Glasgow even though they still live in Coatbridge um, Save you explaining yourself Yeah, absolutely So, um, yeah, no, it's uh, I was kind of put onto this album in a weird way In an interesting way mm-hmm. And this, I'd never, never heard of the band before And yeah, I just sort of uh, It really stuck with me at a time um, It was about must have been three years ago I was spending a year in Australia I didn't know if I was going to live there or not But I was um, I was over there Hanging out with our good friend Craig And my friend Ben had come over for about a month And doing some travelling And we were at a pub in Melbourne In Richmond in Melbourne And it was one of these sort of old man pubs that you get But every old man pub in Melbourne then has a outdoor bit Because if you don't have an outdoor bit in Melbourne in a pub You're an idiot You're an idiot um, I was going to ask Are old man pubs in Australia anything like old man pubs That we would normally consider? Yeah like they Small windowed kind of like Smell that same musty way Yeah, damp smelling Stained pool table uh, Red nosed whiskey drinkers at the bar Yeah But um, yeah, it does It's got, it's very similar to here In fact, funnily enough This pub that we were at I was, uh, as I was walking out A guy said, oh are you, you Scottish? And I was like, yeah I am And he's like, what team do you support? And I was like, oh Ross, Ross, County. Ross County And this like He was an Australian businessman he goes Oh I fucking support Aberdeen mate Fucking hate Ross County Fuck <laughs> off <laughs> And I was like Oh I wasn't I wasn't expecting that That's like the fucking Yeah <laughs> <laughs> Other side of the world And somebody's Slagging you for like In Ross County Yeah like, I know I was like Oh I thought he was just Going to You know Call yeah. out a Rangers or Celtic thing yeah, But yeah. no Somehow uh, He was anti Ross County But anyway We met this guy this guy walked past us and noticed our Scottish accents and just shouted Mogwai at us. <laughs> <laughs> um, and he was a really interesting guy. He was about our age. It turned out he it was just a, one of those really weird nights where lots of things happen. Um, there was like a dad having an in-depth conversation with his son because the dad was a drug dealer and we kind of got involved. No, not a drug dealer, a drug addict. And then this guy that we were talking to was then giving him a pep talk because he was also a former drug addict. And then somehow he got involved in our conversation. He was about our age because he just heard our accents and shouted Mogwai. And we're like, oh, yes, we like Mogwai. He then started talking about post-rock. He used to be a driver for Nick Cave (laughs) um, and all of these weird things. Nick Cave got a taxi once. (laughs) (laughs) No, he actually, he drove the band on tour. Um, he was a huge fan of uh, Shearwater. Okay. He was quite intense, and I think he was still pretty high and <laughs> drunk. And it turned out it was like the first time that he'd drunk in about three months, and he was just having a night out on his own. But he ended up offering us the drugs, uh, which we politely refused. Um, but we ended up going back to his his ex girlfriend's flat because he was he wanted to show us did you go in the window <laughs> yeah but he showed us uh he was he really wanted us to hear this band hood that he was totally obsessed with and he thought that because we'd never heard of them but he knew what we liked he was like you need to come back and hear hood hang on so, so i just want to interject here right 
Mm-hmm. I remember a little bit of this story when we were just at the pub. Yeah. But having now listened to Hood, yeah. it casts a completely different uh, oh. shadow across the story. Yeah, I know. So hang on. So one guy that hadn't drank was now out alone mm-hmm. drinking for the first time in three months yeah. and went back to his ex-girlfriend's flat yeah. to listen to this absolutely miserable slowcore music. Yes. <laughs> it's, it's way more and tragic. Then, and then offered us black MDMA. Yeah. <laughs> so in my mind, when you originally told me that, it was like a, a, a like in a rowdy yeah, night. No, no, like, no, no. Oh, what's going to happen next, mate? Well, no. So after, so after he'd put this on. So depressing now. And then asked if we could put someone on. I can't remember what I played to him. He then was like, oh, do you, I've actually, I'm in a band myself. Do you want to hear a recording of that? And me and Ben are like sitting on a little sofa like this, just like, he could be a killer, but we're just going along with it. Like, this is hilarious. We're on holiday. Fuck it. Let's see what happens. And uh, he puts on his his own band, and they're fucking amazing as well. And I'm like, oh, this is going to be so awkward. But turns out they were really good. And then he's like, in fact, and then he picked up an acoustic guitar, and he's like, do you want to hear a song that I've just written? And I said, oh, my God, this is going to get so awkward again. And then he like sat at the table just facing us, looking in our eyes, and then played it. And it was really good as well. <laughs> and then we had a nice time and we bonded over Elton John and then he got freaked out because he thought his girlfriend, his ex-girlfriend would be angry that we were all there. So we left him. If and I d- never heard from know. him since. If she didn't know that you were in her house. <laughs> well, exactly. Who knows? Be. So yeah, it was just an interesting uh, tale it's, of it's how good, an album and an artist entered my life. A good origin story there. Yeah, yeah it's really weird. Yeah. But um, I enjoyed it. Yeah, it takes me back to an odd time in my life. But... Um, it's an interesting record, an interesting band. Have you um, listened to their other albums? Yeah. How well do you know them? Uh, a little bit. Uh, like, I've gone through them. I've never really fallen for any of the rest. That's why I've kind of chosen this record, because I think it is the perfect summation of what they have tried to do. But a lot of the times, like a lot, you read a lot of things about them, a big thing that comes up is they flipped and flopped and tried different things and every album sounds a bit different and yeah, you know absolutely. Like, I, they're never I, afraid of experimenting and doing shit and trying a thing for an album and then giving it up as you say this is kind of seen as a bit of their Goldilocks period and I'd seen references to the Talk Talk who you also nominated yeah. which I think is a, a really obvious comparison uh, a band called Bark Psychosis I think uh, something like they were they formed in like 86 or something like that and they had like two albums and a bunch of EPs but it's sort of similar a bit noisier mm-hmm. uh, there's little bits of bands like Postal Service in it and these people aren't your friends inhaling thrills their $20 bills and the tumblers are drained yeah little yeah. comparisons to Tortoise uh, but what what was kind of interesting was I went back to listen to the, the, the discography without any real concern of chronology, mm-hmm. um, and it's wildly different at points. Um, they had a their first album, Cabled Linear Traction, was nineteen ninety four. Ninety four, yeah. Really, really, really different. Like lo-fi, this really art rock, like, like unfussy kind of collegey art rock, but like pavement 
or like Sebado, like the really early stuff. It's yeah, totally. You, you know that uh, winning sperm party, the Glasgow kind of art label. Yeah. It's the kind of thing that you could imagine on that. I mean, the tunes are pretty shit. There's fair, some, some of them are, some of them aren't. Like, there's a couple, like, Untitled, which I think is track three, and then uh, a, a bleak view of an irrational happy time, which is track five, sort of showcases, like, some of the dynamics they might move into and mm-hmm. sample a little bit more. showcases that there may be more it's got quite an American sound definitely but like those tracks stand out a little bit more because they're moving more towards the slint sort of thing than the sort of American emo vibe they they didn't get there yet because so the album Silent 88 was released in 1996 yeah It continued that a little bit. It's a little bit less whimsical, though. It's a bit more like yeah, a bit noisier, a bit, no- a bit more shoegazy stuff as well. Yeah, a bit more it feels a bit more focused. Uh, again, though, I don't think the tunes on it weren't really. Yeah, there's not a lot much. of melody happening there. But they did have like their first moments of like little bits of electronica. There's a drum machine, I think, on the third track, mm-hmm. and there's little hints of like electronic glitchiness and stuff later on. The recordings on it are. There. Oh, they're so bad. Yeah. The recording standard is really bad. Um, but it's interesting. There's like an entire genre of badly recorded indie that, you know, certain people seem to fucking love. Charming. Well, interestingly, the, the comparisons for this era of their career are like Sonic Youth and mm-hmm. Early Pavement. Yeah. Who were also very poorly recorded. Well, yeah, exactly. For large parts of the uh, of their back catalogue. Um, they did a thing in um, 1997. Now, this is where I think the, a bit of the confusion came in because it's called Structured Disasters. This yeah. is the first thing that appears by them on Spotify. I'm guessing they felt the previous two just didn't sit well. Well, and their... also with things like this appearing on on platforms, it's often up to the label to upload. Yeah, and the first two were a so, different label. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, but also I think see if you were looking up a band. And even if just by accident you you ha- randomly clicked on a tune and it was from their first two records, you might not give them another chance. Yeah, it's true. It's a completely different style of music at that mm-hmm. point. Um, Structured Disasters, uh, even though Wikipedia can't decide if it's a compilation or an album, is really pretty decent. It's a step up. 1987 it came out. Uh, it's a bit more experimental in places and I think this is when the kind of slint thing mm-hmm. uh, starts to really kind of rear its head you can hear that they've kind of been a little bit influenced this is I uh, must have been because I think they played a, f- a few shows with Mogwai in the early days as well but that would make sense so, as well because Mogwai yeah. especially in the kind of 10 rapid era were like yeah. big into the slint thing and the June of 44 kind of vibe uh, but then things really kind of started to change in 1998. They did an album called uh, Rustic Houses for Lorne Valleys. Mm-hmm. Um, Which I think was their first record on Domino. Yeah. 
Yeah, and that's it's got clarinet and stuff, which is like unthinkable when you hear the first two albums, certainly. Yeah. Uh, and again, really, really big slint influence in it, and right down to the fact that it's got that kind of sparse thing with spoken word over it, uh, really starts to ape a wee bit. Yeah, feel. But yeah. It, it sounds like a band sort of finding their feet a little bit. I think that the sort of the brass and the strings really work. And, and they're, they're, well. they're stretching, you know, longer songs are sort of way more post-rock and they're... Yeah, it's funny. It's like, I, I obviously had never heard this band until, you know, about three years ago. But I listened to this and I was like, oh, I was right... I was doing guitar riffs when I was 20 that sounded like this. You know, in like 2002, I w- because I'd listened to Mogwai. And they were doing it five years before, and I hadn't heard it. They were finding a sound, and... Um, Definitely more confident as well, because they're relying less on the volume, and less on, like, filling every space. And they're letting a bit more air circulate, and, and the notes resonate a bit more. They kept that um, that stripped back kind of trend continued into their next record, which I, I will be honest, I think I actually prefer the next record to the one we've chosen, uh-huh. called The Cycle of Days and Seasons from 1999, I think, 1999. This has a lot of uh, bands like the Shipping News, who I really love, yeah, um, and kind of quarter sticks. Re- eh, sorry, quarter stick records generally. It's it's more my kind of thing. It's still got a big analog sound. It's not quite gone into the kind of glitchy electronica production. Uh, it's definitely got that sort of jazzy production. There's yeah. a lot of like the you can hear the room. The, the brushed snare yeah. and yeah, I, lo- I love that. See when you're listening to a record like that and you can hear the room, so the room makes a difference to the tone of the record. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the use of brass in this record I thought was really impressive. Uh, the, the the brass swells. It's a really distinct warmth that comes from a low end brass yeah. that, that that fills something up. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it works really well in this. Uh, there's a track in it called an Iron Light as well that again hints at their future like you can see them moving on again through it and it goes towards the kind of experimental electro side of things but I I, I have to be I quite like that record I mm-hmm. think I warmed to it more than the one we're doing uh, then obviously Cold House came out uh, 2001 2001 and it got some yeah and got reviewed in the sort of the indie music press but they were never a band that were doing uh you know big festivals or big mm-hmm. tours or anything but i think they had a a sort of credibility in the the english and in, in the underground that you know all the journalists knew of them and the time that cold house came out it was getting a lot of comparisons to radiohead and kid a yeah because you know radiohead were out there i mean that's really start, doing the electronic stuff when we break the tracks down that's definitely going to rear its head definitely mm-hmm. yeah um, well, it, what the fuck is it about England though I mean there are some bands and there's some styles and approaches to indie rock I even say rock and rock's almost redundant there's some 
some approaches to indie and indie-tronica and folk-tronica, whatever you want to call these guys, um, that sound so distinctly middle-class. <laughs> and I'm, I'm, I'm trying to like keep like, the qualitative judgment out of it and just be... It does... There is something very, very... It's hard to explain. It's not like my, my folks wouldn't like it. It's not like radio music. They'd be like, oh, this is a bit weird. But there's something very inoffensive and subtle. Like, it's, it's so subtle. Like, it's like... It's like bread. You know, it's like like there's the, the flavors are there, but they're very fucking mild. The the tones are very very pale. Uh-huh. Um, I, I just think it's like like watching a desaturated image where you can still kind of tell that that's probably red and that's probably green, but everything is very. I just think it's, it's something f- that England does very very easily. I mean, even if you look at the biggest breakout indie bands, like bands like Coldplay, are famous for being so so that. Yeah, you know, there there are so many famous bands that have broken out, especially from England. Way more, I would say, than from the states, where bands can almost not help being a, a, like a parody of themselves, like Nickelbacks and all those kind of bands. They end up being a cheesy joke because they're so overblown. Yeah, whereas like, England does have this knack of doing. But Eng- that's something with the the English psyche. I think it's like a it's all to do with this like inward modesty that is then sort of parodied as there is well. A, yeah, I mean, and there's then, a historical cliched stereotypical reservedness yeah absolutely it's like oh it's unbecoming to overstate something or to be too forward it does seem i mean perhaps it's our imagination perhaps we're seeing what we want to see but it does seem to manifest in this particularly specifically english brand of like understatedness Mm -hmm. in the indie scene especially and and stuff like this where it's it feels very dilute you know, I'm not saying there's no melody. Uh, there certainly is melody, mm-hmm. but it's often so mild and off. Like the chords are so diluted, and the approach and the delivery is so diluted that it fails to really grab you, and it, it leads to this glut of like indie filler, indie landfill, as they say, of just mm-hmm. mild songs that were almost a good idea, but were scared to really nail their colours to the mast. They were just a bit too non-committal. Dave's point's a good one. Like when I remember when I was at university, a lot my degree, half my degree is in Scottish literature, and that is one thing that a lot of English people kept coming back to, just in art in general in England. It's like, well, you know, there, there's a lot of people from England to go to Glasgow Uni, right? And and like that's one of the things. Like, it feels like there's a complete lack of cultural identity apart from the the typical British identity, which is. As we know, it's two completely separate things. Am I at least, I'm almost certainly <laughs> reading too much into it and overstating it and trying to join things that probably don't match. But, you know, Brexit to some extent represents... It's a very English phenomenon, first and foremost. Yeah, and yeah. it represents almost a, like, a culture getting fed up or not having a sense of identity and, and striving to be like, right, we need to differentiate ourselves. Absolutely, to, I totally agree. We need to finally do something ostentatious and maybe even self-destructive just to establish a sense of like stubborn outspokenness that all these other places have, you know. Well, the fact that the St. George's flag, because it was taken over by the extreme right in the 70s and 80s, I think in no other country is the national flag tied to, you know, white supremacy, you know, white supremacy or right wing stuff as it is in England. Um, in Scotland, you can fly the Scottish flag and Ah, fine. That you're, you're just—that's a good, proud Scottish thing to do. Every American in America flies the stars and stripes. You see, you know, any 
flag in any country in Europe and you just go, oh, cool, that's just their flag. Whereas you see the English flag in England, you go, oh, probably racist, <laughs> uh, which it must be weird for somebody that mm-hmm. wants to be proud to be English and they're not racist, yeah. you know, so it must be an interesting contradiction and, you know, so, to come to terms with. It's, it's super, interesting, yeah, because yeah, it's weird. Yeah, it's weird. I, I don't know, man, it's, it's hard to appreciate because obviously the three of us are Scottish and... Um, it feels like our national identity is often defined by what we're not as much as what we are. But, you know, English identity sometimes seems really hard to pinpoint and it seems like sometimes the bands struggle to pinpoint it as well and as a result it just seems to, over the piece, clearly on a case-by-case basis this is almost imperceptible, but when Mm -hmm. you observe the trends over the years you can't surely say that England hasn't got a disproportionate number of incredibly bland indie bands to its name um, now, obviously the thrust is here I find a lot of hood really quite bland mm-hmm. I think it's something I'm not saying it's without merit but I think it's something that England specifically could only have produced to this extent I, I see what you're getting at but I maybe it's just because I've spent more time with this record but obviously I must look, I, I obviously got pulled in straight away I do think it is a very it's very specific to where it's from but I think it's very the band are very specifically from the north of England, but they're not from like that sort of stereotypical working class industrial town of like yeah. even the Smiths or I don't know like yeah. all that shit like the twang and stuff. Mm-hmm. They're fair, like a you- weird mixture of rural and uh, you know urban. They're a weird mixture of folk and modern. You know their dial up internet era. Uh, Okay, hip-hop. Let, let, let's even refine it even further then, because that's that's actually, you've raised a good point there. Uh, obviously, obviously, this entire conversation is based on gross generalisation. We're just talking in, like, very loosely. Nobody's saying that this is, like, scientifically accurate. We're just trying to observe trends here. But, yeah, you're right. There are certainly areas of England as well that are vastly different from each other. Mm-hmm. What this probably sounds more like, and I think you kind of hinted at the kind of Oxfordshire thing, this sounds more like that kind of middle England-like mm-hmm. thing. You know, like less like, you know, Liverpool, Manchester have got some very vibrant and very working class musical traditions. Uh, Newcastle as well, Birmingham especially, metal, grindcore, all that kind of stuff. Like England has done some musical genres very, very, very well. Very yeah, I mean, they created heavy metal, so, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. they've done and quite well. Like Bristol has done some amazing things with electronic mm-hmm. music. Uh, London did some great things with punk music. Not all of them great, but a lot of them. Um, but there is a definitely then if we're gonna if we're gonna even be more specific, there's a Middle England sound. There is like a Cambridgeshire, k- kind of Kent, Oxford sort of like that kind of middle class nowhere England. You know, which Leeds is not part of. Which Leeds is certainly not part yeah, of. Which is odd. This, this sound yeah. does remind me more of that kind of Radiohead mild Radiohead light. Well, funnily enough, there's a there's a really interesting um, article in the Quietus that reviews the sort of the collected reissued works of Hood that were was done by Domino in about 2012 uh, and it talks about Weatherby the town that they're from and how it's it's where the the brothers uh, Chris and Richard Adams are from and it, it's a town that is like on the cusp and that it's um 
sort of between herbal, urban and rural. It's just, you know, close enough to Leeds, but it's within farm mm-hmm. farmyard sort of stuff. Uh, it's a mixture farm of farmyard stuff. stuff. <laughs> Fields, that's what it is. Uh, it's, a that we- that it's a mixture of labour and Tory, of old mining villages, and then also like prime fox hunting territory between hi- hippie settlements and then sort of aggressively conformist working class heartlands. It's between the sort of Bradford estates of like, you know, in almost entirely Asian populations up against mainly rural areas where it's pretty much all white. It's like a area that is very much in between many things and you can get that sense from the band and from this record it's a band that are in between many things and that's what I really get from it and I I, it's not a blandness that I get from it at all I, I get a subtlety and I get a really nice sort of atmosphere from this record and I think it's the, the most autumnal record I've ever heard, they're the most autumnal band I've ever heard they sound like I don't know, like light filtered through orange leaves and um, frost on pylons and stuff like that. I feel like they sound like a nice seeded loaf. <laughs> yeah, there's nothing wrong with a nice seeded loaf. A good melted butter. You know, I, weirdly, just not to—I don't want to labour this—but when the last word, my last word on the subject, at least, uh, I thought like when PJ Harvey did "Let in England Shake," there was something really telling about the album because I felt. As much as it was lauded as a critical success and all mm-hmm. this kind of shit that it got from Mercury and stuff like that, what what I took away from that album was that it was really struggling for a sense of identity. Mm. It was like, okay, she is doing all these songs that are meant to reflect different parts of a national identity. The best song in the album is clearly about the war, going mm-hmm. back to the war. And beyond that, like, the fuck is this album actually adding to my impressions of England? It seemed like it was really reaching for stuff at points and I didn't actually think it was nearly as successful as capturing or distilling any sort of really strong national uh, identity at all yeah. and I think that it just I don't know I mean I'm fuck it we're probably pissing off every English person that's listening <laughs> to this show no but, but like maybe some of the best English records are ones that capture that who are we rather than this is what we are um, I think the best ones capture who are we, and I don't mean England the big we, I mean like the small we, like the Black Sabbaths in Birmingham, the Judas Priests in Birmingham, yeah. or the, the Mancunian ones, the working class ones, the Oasis ones, or like the punk bands from like the south of London. The ones that focus on their small, local, tangible identities are way, way, way more effective mm-hmm. than these broad sort of stroke English inverted commas bands like Coldplay are just the most resounding example of this mediocre indie stuff it's not bad mm-hmm. it's just not good it's just well Mark do you think uh, who'd sound like Coldplay <laughs> I don't no, think <laughs> I don't think so I don't think uh, this record does it definitely has echoes of Kid A though yeah um, and yeah well, I think it came out just before it is that not right uh, this record came Same. out just after Kitty. Just Alpha. The year so, after Kitty. Yeah. Um, also I mean, got some Porous Head vibes from it, just in the kind of trip poppiness of it, but we'll talk about that, I guess. Yeah, yeah definitely. I any, mean, like, to, to be complete, it's the very quickly. Outside Closer, which came in 2005 after this, uh, was an interesting continuation of this. It reminds me of a, a diluted version of the Belgian band Deus. I don't mm-hmm. know if you ever heard Deus. Down. When 
At times a fantastic band, at times a really odd sort of jazz indie pop band. Like they didn't always hit hit the mark, but when they did, they really did. Um, and the, the the second track on that album, uh, the negatives, is a good illustration of a kind of mild version of this. Uh, it's interesting that it's like much the production is much clearer and for me it's a continuation of Cold House but it takes away that sort of graininess that I really liked before and the sort of the gravelly sounds it's just being cleaned up and also the vocals are a bit higher up in the mix yeah. and it sounds I don't know sounds way more badly drawn boy than yeah, Don Caballero there's a sense of them going for something a bit more commercial yeah. very slightly but then I mean yeah, they were never a band that uh, actually took on the mainstream, though. But I think they were maybe with this record just testing what they could do. But there's there's tracks on that record that have big hooks, and then they're like, "Nah, fuck it, we're not actually going to do that." See, one there's a track in this called "Any Hopeful Thoughts Arrive." It's the third track in the album, and it really uh, exemplifies something that puzzles me about this band, and certainly about the outside closer album specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, The songs are so inoffensive in, the, in this album, more so than the, the two prior. Uh, that what I couldn't really understand was the writing process. Okay, mm-hmm. these these songs are so mild. I cannot imagine being moved enough to like to, to to write the melodies down on that album. I can't imagine jumping out of my seat to go and record a riff or a hook that just popped into my head when the hooks and the riffs are so diluted and so like. Subtly done There's nothing that jumps in my head like Oh my god that's a great bit And it kind of seems like these albums exist Only really by the virtue of someone Taking the time to make it exist But it's not really clear why it has to exist Like it doesn't really feel like The songs have a strong enough Melodic or emotional Content to justify somebody feeling artistically compelled to go and jot them down. It, it feels more to me like someone was like, we're in a band, we need to record some songs, let's get in a room and work some stuff together. And they do that, they tick the boxes, they have an album that's done properly. I just don't know why. And and this album, Outside Closer, really sort of under, underscored the kind of pointlessness, I feel, of, of some of that music. Well, I mean, I, I, I disagree in that I think they've created some really, really nice works. I think you're looking for portraits when they are painting abstract stuff. They're doing watercolours, uh, let's be honest. Uh, I mean, watercolours of the sky and fields. I, no, I would beg to differ on Cold House. I don't think that's a watercolour record. I think there's enough edge to it. that. It, and it, and do you know what? I really like the two albums before it as well. Let's talk about the album, because the album is not. Uh, it's absolutely got some good points in it. Yeah, I mean, I, I totally agree. So I mean I think it starts really well actually It starts with They removed all trace that anything had ever happened here You were cast in ancient light There's coldness in this sky So I mean the song titles are going for the We are um, 
kind of miserable and inward and it's the longest thoughtful. Song, song title out, outside of like a 2001 metal emo <laughs> kind of album by like uh, Drowning Man or something like <laughs> but do you like oh, some of this I th- you mentioned Kiddie yeah. the drum intro the, drum, the first minute of this is really really uh-huh. Kiddie a chopped up beat sort of thing yeah. yeah but there's something I don't know there's something about the overall band that I might normally hate but I totally don't because they've got a modesty about them that like they're not uh, very english <laughs> yeah but i like it i really like it it's like a sort of rural maybe it's because they're from a wee village and they're quite rural and highland and i get that and they're just like we're gonna put this out here and no, this could be fine mm-hmm. um i love it i, love I think <sighs> sorry i just i love the snare sound in this song i will say yeah, yeah, the yeah. organic snares comes in oh the percussion on this record yeah. is really good and i, I think that's what stands well. out is you know the the percussion um It's also interesting that uh, they started working uh, with Dose One and uh, with Y as well, uh, two leaders of the Anticon label Mm -hmm. in LA, and they come in and the the, kind of the when Anticon was starting to wind down around about this time as well. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's interesting that. Um, But so you know, this track it sort of has all the elements that we've heard before over the last four records. um, Sort of, they've all hinted at. In separate ways, but they're all sort of slowly introduced. Uh, vocals once again are sort of understated. Do you not feel that, that? I mean, you're saying understated. I feel the vocals seem quite lethargic. I think yeah, that's that kind of those one and why and kind of a lot of the kind of anticon hip hop style from this from the sort of the West Coast was kind of like that. It was kind of chilled out and laid back. I think that's definitely the vocals some, contributed by the band themselves, who sound very lethargic in this one. I feel. Uh, yeah, but then I think the vocals from Dose One really kick it up a gear. And I think it really works. Uh, and I just think they just build textures. You've got the brass and you've got the strings and you've got the cello. Nice. The cello's really nice. Where before. Uh, on previous records the guitars sounded like they were sort of probing and trying to work out what they did here they're like sort of paired back a little bit and they're just doing exactly we're going to fill in that texture and it's going to be a really nice sort of lush bit and then um, you've got little sort of atonal clatterings around the pans uh, I just think it builds up really well and it's it's really well produced and it's like oh this is everything this band could have been They've hinted at on different records and they've taken all the best bits of it and done it here. And then it sort of unwinds uh, and it's got this sort of uneasy effect uh, that brings the record personality. Um, I don't know. I, yeah, I just I think it's a really, really interesting opener. Um, you show no emo- emotion at all. Uh, way more sort of straight up yeah. glitchy hip hop beat. Vocal, kind of like, back, it's got to yeah. be kind of Korg vocal beat drum yeah. happening. Yeah. 
a bit more confidence in the vocal. I didn't just, think the vocal, uh, the vocal annoyed the hell out of me. Yeah, I thought it was very low energy, man. Just to cast away the girl, or to have the time again. You said, hold on to dreams, yeah. But I know you. Yeah. I like the panning, by the way. The, the vocal panning in this song, I will say, worked well because although I thought the vocal was quite uh, downbeat. The, the the way it shifted about uh, in the stereo was was pretty interesting because it helped distinguish the different lines. Certainly, I like the guitar imp- interplay in this. Uh-huh. Song. Do you know what's also interesting is when you talk about the vocals. Normally, in vocals like this, when the singer can't sing, I fucking hate it. But with this band, I totally get over it, and it works for me. I don't know why, and it, maybe it's just because it's all part of the sound and the atmosphere and the feeling, yeah. rather than you know picking out particular things see I, I, I like a lot of like things like slowcore and stuff that's quite unfussy like Codeine as well like Codeine the singer was not a particularly great singer but they I feel like I don't know they just had a, a stronger sense I really like the lyrics though the lyrics are great I mean they're introspective and they're yeah it's like a middle class Englishman going oh shit there's not much uh, point in life um it would be nice if you liked me a little bit. Uh, oh, it is cold, isn't it? But like, uh, like I heard the phone ring so late at night that I thought someone had died. Someone had died. <laughs> like that's like a darkly comic. Uh, I really like that. That's like that's a very English lyric. Yeah, that's a very true. northern English sort of dark humor. Um, a little bit of Morrissey then. Yeah, totally. I like the some of the sounds. The some of the synth sounds in it. Yeah, they're sort of kind yeah. of winding in and out of each other. And the horn's kind of jazzy, which I also mm-hmm. quite like too. Uh, track three, Branches Bear, is like a really sort of slow and tender one. I felt the night away We found dry So that reminds me of bands that started heavier and then slowed down. That uh-huh. I, th- I think in that song you can hear that this started as a much noisier project and then pulled everything back. I like it. It's like a sort of rumination. The the lyrics get weirder. That bass line just sort of repeats itself. It doesn't really build. It just sort of repeats and repeats. Uh, and the lyrics in this are really interesting. Like, we spit in the pond to give the fish something to pray to. Sometimes the sunset doesn't want to be photographed. Uh, how a deer knows a dork in the thrift store hat I mean I don't know what that means but I like it it's fucking weird <laughs> if Biffy wrote that would be gin them pelters ah fuck it then oh, it, Enemy of Times a sort of another autumnal rumination right, about so loneliness I have an issue with time. this I have, a, I have an issue with this right uh-huh. I, don't, I think we can all surely agree that at this point in this album it needed a change of pace Right, because this is the point where I was willing to go with the first three songs being very downbeat, mm-hmm. but at this point, when this song starts and it's more of the same, it, it I was like, I have an issue now because I am really struggling maintain enthusiasm for this album and we're only four songs in it badly badly needed something to, to break it up to, 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 uh, to give it another direction to give it another tempo yeah maybe I don't know I, I think it depends when you're listening I think if you're out on a nice walk fuck a it long, it's lovely um, a long English walk yeah exactly through not very hilly countryside <laughs> but if you're on a 
I don't know, if you're on a suburban train commute, then you might be distracted. I like to... <clears throat> what if you're hunting bears? <laughs> <laughs> well, you should just be listening Naked. to Pantera, shouldn't you? <laughs> you liked what? Sorry, Mark? Uh, no, I was going to say, um, it, it kind of gave me a neutral, a neutral milk hotel vibe, but I can't really... Mm-hmm. I couldn't really explain, couldn't really articulate why. Also, a lot of Radiohead too on that one. The cello was nice again. Yeah, absolutely. And then, and then the first half of the record sort of finishes uh, with the winter hit hard. And this is a sort of big building instrumental and I think mm. on another record it would be a filler track but on this it actually feels like a sort of centrepiece because you've got the ambient noise getting louder and louder and the percussion taking centre stage do you think this may- this track could maybe come in a track earlier? I would rather have seen this track a track earlier because yeah. even though it's actually a step down it works in that it's it's mm-hmm. just something as it's a landmark um, have you ever heard of the, the, the genre lower case? It's, it's where people take almost imperceptible noises like in between noises and amplify them until they become musical noises in and of themselves uh, so like uh, I don't know it's a good example to give you but like transistor noises like minute little tones that are then captured it's actually mm-hmm. really hard to capture them obviously because even just the background hum and stuff can get in the way This the, the subtlety of the percussive glitches in this one I think is really really interesting and the way that they're then turned into a feature of the music it's really it's it's one of the it's maybe the best track on it ironically yeah. um, and I wish they'd done more with it because if you're going to be a bear be a grizzly and you know by contrast if you're going to do l- low slow core stuff really lean into it and I like the way they lean into it in this one um, I, I do think that the vocals in this one don't do the song any favours but yeah. the instrumentation I think is really uh-huh. really good it reminds me of DJ Shadow a little bit it's like something I could imagine him doing with chopping up various records where yeah, totally. he was just kind of used some field recordings and it's kind of I've never heard anything like this before so it was kind of unsettling to hear those kind of whirling clicking noises and but you're right, Chris. Like it, it does make it like a centerpiece of the song, and it's quite, it's quite an interesting use of that. It uh, makes it give you something to latch on to. Because you can you know? tell, like even subconsciously, because you can tell how delicate those sounds were to start with. It feels like you're drawn really up close to something. Like you've pulled it really up to your eyes, mm-hmm. and you're looking at it really closely. Yeah. Uh, and it gets you away from the four songs prior, where you were at basically the same range for every tune at the same tempo. I think the other songs around it would have been better served had that happened sooner. Mm. Uh, and then moves on to I Can't Find My Brutal Youth. I quite like the title, by the way. Yeah, I like that. Uh, this was the f- the track that The Stranger played me in the flat. Mm-hmm. Uh, it sounds like 90s landfill indie. Do you think? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I have to say, man, this track to me sounds like a band caught kind of awkwardly between their older indie material and their new stuff. It sounds, put it this way, I can imagine before they had a name for this, a good name for it, but before they had a name for it, it was on their set list as the heavy song, even though it's plainly not. It's it's the heaviest song in the album, but... I see, I think it's got only like that guitar hook draws you in and then it's the production and the percussion that nail it and I think it gives... 
it is the heavy song on this record, but I, I fucking love this song. Mm. Uh, I've, it sounded a bit like Blur to me. I mean, I don't mind Blur, but I don't know. There's just something about it. it had, the, the electronic outro was pretty cool. Yeah, I liked that. I think I was. I thought it was a really nice touch, which kind of just about pulled it back for me. But yeah, just sounded like generic nineties indie to me. Interesting. Uh, this is what we do: is sellouts. Uh, it's a sort of quiet, wonky one. Sounds like a. It could be on like Bjork Vespertine. Yeah. But, well, uh, instead of having Bjork, you've got a quiet Englishman singing. <laughs> yeah. So I think this is interesting, though, right? Because this is what we do to sellouts. To me, sounds like it starts like a very, very uh, relaxed version of Aphex Twin. Yeah. It's got a, that kind of feel to it. And actually, there's a there's an act called Tipper, and I'm trying to remember where Tipper was from. I think it was um, British, somewhere in Britain. I'm not sure where, but it, from about 1998. Till present, um, doing that sort of glitchy, bubbly, kind of trip hoppy, kind of bits and bobs kind of music. You know, there's there's moments in this album as well where it sounds a little bit like the instrumentation has been a hinting towards bands like Fortet. Mm-hmm. But when they come in with the vocals, almost undoes it. I can't tell if actually maybe some of this stuff would be better if it had less vocal over it because I feel the vocal really sort of makes it more generic and mm-hmm. the instrumentation that at times is quite interesting. It's cut like I'm I'm referencing some pretty good acts here that I think it reminds me of, but then there tends to come in this voice that just sort of drags it all down into like this landfill territory. Yeah, I'm starting to switch off by this point. I've got to be honest, man. No, that's fair. I mean, uh, I think the river curls around the, the town is then a sort of weird backward soundscape. It feels like winter is hit in this sort of autumnal record. The, the accents were killing me. Though. <laughs> yeah, totally. Uh, lines low at the frozen ground has got that sort of much gentler jazz thing that maybe you appreciated from the record before I wrote here Why so sad David <laughs> I, I, Like I'd, I'd, This song barely happened For me man Do you know what I found Quite interesting about that song Is it sounded quite A bit like Box 65 Oh yeah I remember no, that he's more upbeat Like he used it Like a couple of records uh, In the middle of his discography Have got like that Kind of laid back Kind of jazzy feel yeah. Which it kind of reminded me of I think, like, I, Maybe I've not heard them But I always associate them With being a lot more upbeat uh, Track then finishes with You're worth the whole world
which is uh, it's a good closer. It's got sort of everything. It's back in the percussion. It's got all the guest vocals. It's more mm-hmm. slinty. It's yeah. got that kind of layered vocal thing happening. I like that. Yeah, and it's got that sort of glitchy rap from the guests. Uh, yeah, great track. Um, it's interesting that neither of you took to this record as much as I thought you might. I, I did try, honestly. Yeah. I, I did approach it. Maybe I should have given you it in November. Maybe. Like, genuinely, uh, maybe you're just too happy-go-lucky right now. Maybe I'm still too young and full of life. Maybe. Yeah, it could be. <laughs> uh, but it's interesting that uh, such a vibrant happy young man as myself is also so taken <laughs> by such a miserable <laughs> record fair, man you did nominate talk talk yeah that's true uh i don't know there's just something about this band that are interesting and they try so many different things and they never shout about it they're just like in they the background never shout about it well yeah but I that's fine they did. i mean oh, maybe i just uh, i go from one extreme to the other don't know you do. Uh, <laughs> I'm not a man of nominated <laughs> fucking corn. <laughs> uh, but I, I just really appreciate it, and it's it sort of paints pictures of a watercolor picture, watercolor autumnal English landscape. Oh, I don't know. It's pure Turner, isn't it? It's, uh, <laughs> I don't know. They have and I just, elements, and I think yeah, this is the record like that. that I think best defines them. And I think you can go back and find bits that you like from all the other records. This is probably the best uh, starting point if you want to go and discover other shit. I did slightly prefer the cycle of days and seasons. I have to say, I yeah. preferred the slightly more analog tortoise approach of that. I've actually Rustic Houses, Forlorn Valleys is maybe the one that I actually go back to more. But I think. For somebody that hasn't heard the band, I think you go to Cold House and then choose which record you want to go down the route of from. Hmm. Well, I'm going to say no. You're going to say no. Don't take it personal. Yeah, I didn't really... I like the hip-hop elements of it, but the other stuff kind of left me cold. House. That's interesting. I'll be interested to see what people say about it because I think it's quite... I mean, they never took off. NME gave it like eight and a half out of ten. I said, you know, this is fucking brilliant. Um, they are doing things that other bands haven't done yet, and then yeah, the and then liked, they never the enemy like gay dad as well. Though. Yeah, no, I know. It's but um, it's interesting that people either just don't give a fuck about it, and then a very small amount of people absolutely love it. This was the the album that a random uh, high man in a pub in Melbourne came up to me and said we had to go back. And get high and listen to this That's record. That's pretty cool. That, like, you know, you, I, I'm trying to like imagine your state of mind that made a boy such as yourself receptive to that. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know, I've, I've, being in a new city on your own is a interesting yeah. time. High so, on life, man. You know what this did do though? This album gave me a pretty decent nexus. Well, I have to say, my nexus is. I was very happy with it. Mine's pretty decent too. This is the first time we're seeing nexus tonight. Why am I here? 
Um, so, uh, as well, as a result of being a prime donor and guest on the pod, Craig Carrick had uh, a few suggestions sitting in the pot, and we pulled out another of his uh, last week, which was Billy Warlock, who was in Baywatch, for those of you that don't know, uh, amongst other things. Uh, David, I believe you are first. The floor is. So I've got to get from Hood to Billy Warlock from fucking (laughs) Baywatch. (laughs) Now, and Hood are not a band that have many connections, to be honest. Uh, It's kind of defined. Yeah, it's hard to get from Hood. That was the hard part. It's quite interesting. You know, some bands work with lots of people. They basically worked with the two guys from Anticon, and that was about it. Um, I did some delving, and in 1994, one of their early London gigs... Uh, they played at the PIAO Festival in Hammersmith, which was like a big pay in advance only. Um, I don't, I don't know, it's some sort of like DIY gig at Hammersmith Apollo. Uh, bands like Heavenly Prolapse, uh, Sister George, lots of weird English Sister indie George. bands. I uh, um, played. Hood played, and basically the biggest band that played that uh, show was Gorky's Psychotic Monkey. Oh yeah. Favourite of John Peel, mm-hmm. Welsh is fucking anything. Blitz. Uh, load of shit. And uh, headed by the vocalist and keyboard, Euros Childs, which is a really excellent name. Uh, Euros Childs, at one point, formed a duo called Johnny with uh, Norman Blake from Teenage Fan Club. This is about 10 years ago. They released an album in 2011 called Johnny. Uh, I have no idea if that was good or not. Teenage Fan Club were um, of course of this parish were famously uh, touted as the second best band in the world by Liam Gallagher Oasis obviously being the first yeah uh, so you know big up the fannies big up the fannies uh, Liam Gallagher I was looking at his Wikipedia and his controversies at one point he was uh, banned from Cathay Pacific Airlines the Hong Kong Airlines for punching a passenger or something like that <laughs> but he also had a a drunken fight with uh, Paul Gascoigne in the Groucho Club yes. uh, and set off a fire extinguisher in Gascoigne's face. <laughs> that, was, that was in 2006. That wasn't even in like peak 90s. Uh, Is that like, that was post Moat Gascoigne? Uh, it must have been, yeah. yeah. So, um, I mean, Paul Gascoigne, uh, he's, he's a, a character. He's, he's, oh, yeah. he's a, exactly, he's a character. Now, at one point, he signed for Lazio, uh, in Italy Boy, and had a really exciting time um, I th- like it was t- total ma- there's like an amazing documentary uh, done by what's his name the guy that did uh, Football Italia of Gaza at Lazio and he's just an absolute fucking numpty um, it's a fucking mad team. It was a mad team as well, by the way, last yeah. year, man. So, oh, so yeah, because like the far right, the ultra class just as yeah. fuck. Yeah. Man. So he, he he was like a big star. He was going through injuries and he had personal problems, but you know, Lazio paid a lot of money for him. He was eventually spent a lot of that time injured before yeah, he then signed from, for Rangers. Family from Lazio. Oh, really? Mm. Uh, this out he was ago. he was well received by the club's fans, but not. By the club's owner, uh, Sergio Cragnotti, who was like a famous rich Italian guy. Because uh, he, he resented uh, Gaza after Gascoigne greeted him by saying, Tua figlia grande tete, which uh, roughly translated as, Your daughter has big tits. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what he said to his new boss, the head of Lazio. Wow. Um, Sergio, Classic Gaza. So Sergio Cragnotti. Uh, one of the most (laughs) (laughs) is like this uh, one of the most sort of high profile and wealthy 
business figures in Italy, best known for being uh, head of Lazio. Best known for being raging at Gaza. <laughs> but he's also the head of food conglomerate uh, Sirio, which at one point acquired Del Monte Foods International. Uh, really, somehow getting further away from America. <laughs> no, 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 no. You, just wait for this leap. I was so proud of this. I was like, oh, how am I going to get from uh, Del Monte to Billy Warlock from uh, Baywatch? Oh, it'll be this... Uh, David Hasselhoff frozen smoothie introduced by Del Monte. <laughs> uh, so here is a video of a Del Monte sponsored oh, wow. David Hasselhoff frozen smoothie it does, figure. It looks like him as well. That's amazing. So oh, at one point, Del Monte officially kind of released a smoothie in the shape of David Hasselhoff. That is wild. And he's kind of brandishing it like an effigy. Yeah. It looks a bit like frozen blood. And you'll <laughs> see that this is official because uh, at the beginning it's got... The brand, the Del Monte, Del Monte brandy, is, wow. I mean, and then obviously from Hasselhoff we go to Baywatch, Baywatch and Baywatch to Billy Warlock. David, that's that's a that, well that jump alone was exceptional. Thanks very much. Yeah. Okay, uh, so <laughs> sorry, I've just seen that Del Monte iced refreshment turned David Hasselhoff into a hopsicle to celebrate <laughs> National Ice Cream Week. <laughs> <laughs> My goodness, sorry, carry on. Uh, in 1997, Melody Maker, the late music magazine that was sort of a rival cousin to Enemy, uh, ran an article which claimed that following a Hood show, uh, the singer Michael Stipe of the band R.E.M. ran backstage to congratulate the band on a wonderful performance. Uh, for the record, <laughs> the band said that that never happened. But <laughs> Melody Maker ran, ran an article about this. Curious fact, sorry it's an early tangent, but uh, you know the R.E.M. album Green? Mm-hmm. You know, it's got an orange cover. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The point is, if you stare at the cover for like 15 to 20 seconds and close your eyes, you see the cover in reverse, which is green. Wow. Ah. There you go. Um, anyway, so R.E.M., uh, Michael Stipe obviously being the singer of them, R.E.M. once appeared on Nickelodeon's show Livewire, where kind of pop musicians and stuff would talk to kids, uh, and they took questions from three particular kids, three young men who would later go on to be in the Beastie Boys. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Beastie Boys. I mean, that be, we're later going to be the Beastie Boys. Well, yeah. <laughs> um, the Beastie Boys had a song called Sabotage, their, their finest hour, in my opinion. Uh, that was covered by a combination of Corn and Slipknot at a show in London in, in 2015. You can see Jesus. it online. It's golly. It's pretty tasty. Slipknot, who are making another appearance on this show today, uh, to accompany the Iowa and Volume 3 albums, Slipknot had their masks designed for tours specially by a fella known as Screaming Mad George. Uh, Screaming Mad George's real name is Joji Tani. Uh, Joji Tani is a special effects creator and a movie director. His only directorial role actually is for the manga film The Giver. Uh, but he also worked on the special effects for some great movies, including Big Trouble in Little China and Love that film. and the original Predator. Mm. Classic. Uh, yep. Curiously enough, by the way, talking about Big Trouble in Little China, Billy Warlock's dad mm-hmm. was a stunt double for Kurt Russell. Oh well, there you there go. You are. But, but that's, that's not your. That's not my route. Just very. Uh, so Georgie Tani 
also did some super gory effects for a really wonderful film from 1989 called Society. Society is crazy. Like, no spoilers, you have to go and watch the film Society. If you like John Carpenter stuff, you know, that kind of body horror stuff, if you like satire, uh, it's just such a brilliant mix. Uh, it's, I think, kind of personally, it should be up there with films like They Live. It's not quite as good, mm-hmm. um, but it's certainly really, really, really watchable. So go and see Society. Society starred Billy Warlock. Oh, there you are. Nice one. <clears throat> okay, so um, Cold House were on Domino Records, as before they mentioned. Um, Domino Records, home to many artists, many influential artists as well. I would hope so. It's a record label. Yep, uh, pavement was one Great of those. Great pizzas up. as well. Yeah. <laughs> Not yeah. actually. No, <laughs> I don't much, know, yeah. much more. Much, I can't eat them because they're not vegan. Because the powder on them is milk. I think not great. They're completely different taste in America as well, which is bizarre. Anyway, um, pavement were on Domino, um, who's uh, founding member, lead dude, whatever. Steve Malkmus. Uh, contributed quite a lot to the film soundtrack. I'm not there, which was a uh, Bob Dylan pseudo biopic thing um, which is actually a really good film I don't know if you've seen it directed by Todd Haynes um, it's kind of you have uh, Christian Bale Kate Blanchett um, Richard Gere Heath Ledger all as different versions of Bob Dylan so I prefer Todd Haynes when he's grappling with paedophilia no oh, well there you go <laughs> uh, uh, one of, like I said one of the people in that film is Christian Bale uh, Christian Bale starred in a film Public Enemies with one Mr Johnny Depp and Johnny, Be- Johnny Depp got his uh his sort of fame from 21 Jump Street, which had a guest appearance by one Mr. Billy Warlock in the episode Come From the Shadows in 1989. Billy Warlock must have been quite young then. He's younger than Johnny Depp, isn't he? Yeah, uh, he is 58 years old. Fuck me. Okay, yeah. I take that back. They're mm-hmm. about the same age, aren't they? Yeah. More or less, yeah. Yeah. Well, well Johnny Depp's 56, but yeah, yeah the same geez. age. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, he retired from acting in 2011. Has been a while. Yeah. Um, okay. Job done. Well, it's been a treat. Done. Um, I think you should go and listen to this album if you haven't, and then make your own mind up. And yep. if you're uh, feeling miserable and like autumnal walks on your own, yeah, you may, might like it. You may discover something that you love, much like David did, uh-huh. and that is truly a wonderful thing. Truly. Wonderful uh, thing. What we're we doing next week, guys? I think we need a little change of pace. I think it's about time we did a wee mixtape for folks. A wee mixtape. We had a few options, but. I really liked the one that Mark suggested midweek. So that was uh, basically, we're going to do... It's the Red Menace, right? The Red Menace yeah. mixtape. Yeah. Now, given all this chat, especially in the American election as it looms... But also but inspired by my dad a little bit. Dave's dad. <laughs> Why are we not out there <laughs> setting fire to buses? <laughs> um, we are going to do a mixtape, which is our favourite lefty-affiliated bands, especially the kind of more radical left-affiliated bands. I mean, yeah, predominantly... But will we? I think what we'll in, maybe... Try and do is we'll each bring an album. That yeah, it will, yeah, we'll each absolutely. But yeah, we'll, we'll, as mixtapes are, we'll each bring a crash record. We're all bringing crash records. Yeah. Just, you know, <laughs> a lefty, a lefty record uh, of our choice yeah. and uh, fight to the death. But then we'll have a little bit of a blether about lefty music in general. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And then the week after, we'll be doing uh, right wing <laughs> music. Uh, what? What? No, I'm joking. Obviously not. <laughs> <laughs> Tories don't do good bands. <laughs> During the course of the mixtape, actually, I was going to say, can we think of any? Uh, yeah, we should. Right wing well, bands. We'll try and think of actually decent right wing bands. Um, 
Right, well, they don't need to be extreme black metal. Yeah, they don't need to be Bathory <laughs> right wing. Uh, not Bathory, uh, Burzum right wing, but they could be like um, John Major right wing. Mm. <laughs> Eagles yeah. of death metal. Yeah, centre right. Yeah, we'll talk about this. Anyway, I, I'm looking forward to it. Should be fun, yeah. Can oh. finally use my degree. Yes! <laughs> hey! For no money. Mom! <laughs> <laughs> uh, Alright, bye. Bye.